0: How the Ingenious Monk Became a Benevolent Deity This story was submitted by our viewer, Travis, thank you! I am the dungeon master for a table of 8 players and in my campaigns I pride myself on two things. Roleplay is important and I will improv the storyline based off the player's actions in game. I detest railroading players. One of my players, Drew, was moving out of state in a few weeks and I typically create campaign arcs based off the player's backstories. As we had not gotten around to his character yet, I felt I needed to send him off with a small side quest that would wrap his character's arc up. This is the story of how Adron the Furbolg Monk unknowingly bumbled his way into divinity and retired his PC as a demigod. The party consisted of 8 level 15 adventurers. Adron, a Furbolg elemental monk. Aang, a Wood Elf elemental monk. Aurora, a tiefling College of Valor bard. Wolf, an Azamar life cleric. Ronoran, a Wood Elf Gloomstalker ranger. 2K, a no arcane trickster rogue, Kaelin, a high elf swashbuckler rogue, and Norvik, a human eldritch night fighter. The party had just finished a quest and were completing downtime in a local tavern within the city of Silvery Moon. It was midday and a broken and hobbled shell of a man entered the establishment and began to plead with anyone who would listen. He eventually makes his way towards the party's table and recognizes the distinct look of the two monks in the group. Please, brothers, you must help us. Our monastery was taken over by a rival monastic order, and those who opposed the new abbot were put to an early grave. I barely escaped with my life. I beg of you, help me get justice. The city of Silvery Moon refuses to interfere in the political affairs of monasteries, so I look to any willing adventurers for help." The party debates about the potential quest and hinges their decision on how much the crippled monk can pay for the job. However, in an unusual act of empathy, both monks seem genuinely interested, without worrying about payment. Tell us more about this rival monastic order, Adron the Firbolg monk says. Yes, and who are you? Ang the human monk asks. My name is Talbot. I am a monk of the Moncomura Monastery of the Sun-Soul Order in the Moonwood Forest, northwest of Silvery Moon and just west of the logging hamlet of Quervars. This vile monastic order, called the Way of the Serpent, killed my brothers and sisters and enslaved those who were weak-willed. They first came to our monastery a little over a fortnight ago with their leader, Holegra. They were looking for room and board and would offer payment in the form of manual labor around the monastery grounds. Of course, we would have taken them in, regardless of the offer of payment. They stayed a few nights proselytizing their way of life and then left on the third morning. Later that evening, they came back with an army of followers and took over the monastery. They used our hospitality to study our defenses in order to exploit it for their invasion. I am worried about my brothers and sisters who are being tortured, and I fear the Tear of the Sun could fall into their hands. Tear of the Sun? The party collectively asked. Over the past hundred years, our order was given the duty of protecting an amulet that was passed down to us. Some say it is a powerful artifact that imbues its wearer with immense power. Others think it is a tear shed by Lethander himself and molded into a beautiful golden topaz medallion. Regardless, it has been our monastery's mission to protect it, Talbot explained. After Talbot explained this, I had Adron roll a wisdom check. Sure enough, his character remembered that a few days before, his own monastery had been destroyed by a green dragon. They were visited by a wayward monastic order, who called themselves the Way of the Serpent, and were led by an individual named Holegra. Everyone rolled for knowledge about the Tear of the Sun amulet. Unfortunately, no one had ever heard of it. I need to look into this. There might be a connection between my monastery and this Way of the Serpent order. Adron said solemnly as every time he thinks about his previous order, he remembers the trauma that mentally scarred him from seeing his brothers and sisters slaughtered. This sounds like a dangerous and difficult job. How many Serpent Order monks are at your monastery? And more importantly, how much can you pay? Ronner and the ranger asked as he looked away from Adron's brooding. I think there are about two scores of Serpent Order monks, and I have twenty gold, and whatever we can help you with once the monastery is taken back. We have blacksmiths, tailors, and artisans. Talbot replied. A collective groan came from the group as they realized this was not a high-paying quest. I don't care about the money, Adron said. This is bigger than that. And so, the party decided they would help Adron investigate this potential link to the disappearance of this monastery. The party traveled a few days northwest from Silvery Moon into a small hamlet called Quervars. It was known for its export of timber and was within an hour walk from the monastery. After travelling for several days, the party decided they would stop in the local tavern, the Whistling Stag. The Whistling Stag was a small tavern, but to the lumberjacks that worked the forest, it represented the end of a long day's hard work with hot food and cold drink, which were both affordable and delicious. As they entered the establishment, they spotted four dusky grey-skinned elf-like monks who were adorned in black robes with green serpent etching. The party decided to wait and see what the monks would do. The monks finished their meals, paid their tab, and left the tavern, heading back towards the monastery through the woods. The party gave chase. At this time, Aurora the Bard had a clever idea. She would catch up to them on the trail and question them while the rest of the party hid on the edge of the wooded path, with the aid of Ronoran's Pass Without Trace spell. If anything went wrong, she would give the signal to attack. "'Excuse me, I was wondering if you could help me,' Aurora said as she caught up with them while unbuttoning the top two buttons of her blouse. Unfortunately for Aurora, these monks were celibate and her attempts at persuasion were not going to be very effective. The monks turn around to the approaching lass and don't seem to be affected by her attempted seduction in the slightest. "'What do you want, miss?' The apparent leader of this small group asked in a curt tone. "'I was just wondering what happened at the monastery a few weeks ago and hope you could explain,' Aurora said while twisting a lock of hair. "'Begone. We have no time for entertaining your curiosity,' the lead monk snapped. They turned around, annoyed, and started walking away from her. Aurora had not anticipated that her feminine wiles would be fruitless, and had obviously not thought of a backup plan if she failed on her original idea of gathering information. Wait! Aurora yells, and with a dramatic sigh she rips her blouse open, exposing her chest and pretends to faint. I have her roll a performance check and combat initiates with the rest of the party as they ambush the monks. I had been describing them as monks throughout the entire session, and since none of the party members had ever encountered Kai Elves, they had no real knowledge of what kind of creatures these monks truly were. Which perplexed them when the monks started hurling spells at the party during combat. The encounter was not too difficult though, as the party consisted of 8 level 15 PCs versus 4 CR 12 Gloom Gloomweavers with a few levels of monk class of their own, effectively boosting their CR to make it a little more challenging. The fight went about as expected and an 8 vs 4 fight would go, well, 7 vs 4 fight. Aurora continued to pretend to have fainted and be exposed throughout the fight, lying on the path in an effort to convince the monk she was seriously distraught. Alas, the only casualty on the PC side was against Norvik the Eldritch Knight as a Shadar-Kai monk cast an arcane gate beneath his feet and placed the second gate 500 feet in the air. As the knight fell through the magical hole and was now falling towards the earth, I figured Norvik would be okay and cast fly which would easily negate the Arcane Gate Trap. Boy did he prove me wrong, Norvik decided he would wait until he was 5 feet from impacting the ground and cast Misty Step and teleported to a spot on the ground of his choosing. I ruled that since he did not stop his terminal velocity fall, he still carried the momentum from his fall and cratered into the ground, when he came out of his Misty Step spell. He took impact damage from the fall and crushing damage from his full plate armor to a grand total of 167 HP worth of damage. Plus he had to make con-saves for every piece of magical equipment he held on his body, while all non-magical equipment was destroyed or ruined. He immediately went to zero HP and began rolling death saves. Meanwhile, the leader of this small group of monks realized that they were outmatched and outnumbered, and so he cast invisibility and ran away. While force-feeding a Goodberry to the unconscious Eldritch Knight, Ronoran said, Great, now they definitely know we're coming. Don't worry, we don't have to go through the front door, Talbot replied. There's a grate in the wall that allows a natural stream to pass through and feed the lake within the grounds. Perhaps we can sneak in using that. The party agreed this would be the best course of action and eventually made it to the monastery, where they began to sneak around the walls with the aid of Ronoran's Pass Without Trace spell once again. They found the stream leading to the grate on the west side of the compound, and Kaelin the Rogue went in first to make sure it was not blocked or locked. After clearing the blocked grate of a dead body, one by one they swam through the underwater tunnel and into the compound. Kaelin and Ronoran decided to do some scouting around the nearby houses while everyone else hid in the tall reeds next to the stream. After searching around a few houses, they discovered one of the houses was a dedicated washhouse for clothes, and two Sun-Soul monks were diligently washing clothes, with one Serpent Order monk watching over them. Kaelin and Ronoran snuck in and killed the Serpent Order monk to free the Sun-Soul monks, but the Sun-Soul monks looked like they were preparing to fight their rescuers, Suspecting a brainwashing of sorts, Aurora the Bard cast domination on the female Sun Soul Monk and ordered her to stand down. The other Sun Soul Monk unfortunately had to be put down. After some interrogation, they discovered that the main temple in the monastery was being used as a base of operations by the Serpent Order leader, Holegra, and that other Sun Soul Monks, who had yet to have their spirit broken, were being tortured there as well. Aurora decided to cast Modify Memory and effectively Men in Black Mind wipe their encounter from her memory. Instead, the female Sun-Soul monk remembers a false memory of the Serpent Order monk giving them the rest of the day off. She was told to go home and take a nap. Meanwhile, the party cleaned up the mess in the washroom and devised a plan. Aang and Aurora came up with a plan to release the captured Sun-Soul monks who were still resisting the brainwashing and use them as allies to fight against the Serpent Order monks. Perhaps with the monks' help and their fighting prowess they may be able to take the monastery back and as luck would have it. The washroom had several monk robes that they could use to help disguise themselves and sneak into the temple. The party managed to roll rather well on their disguise checks and entered the temple without any complications. The temple was a large two-story structure, with the foyer being a grand hall with a second floor balcony that encircled the foyer and several monks were making casual conversation along the balcony. An orange glass window skylight shone sunlight through to light the room as the party entered the temple. The party decided to split into two groups to search the temple as fast as possible. One group was going to the Eastern Rooms, while the other group went to the Western Rooms. In the Eastern Rooms, Kaylin, Ronoran, and 2K found what appeared to be torture chambers, with one of the chambers currently in use. In the Western Rooms, Aang, Adron, Norvik, Wolf, and Aurora found a large hall lined with beds. Within those beds were beaten and battered sun-soul monks in various states of consciousness. They realized their two rogues. 2K the gnome and Caelan the high elf were in another room, unable to unlock the monks from their bed manacles. Wolf the cleric conducted a medical exam on one of the monks and discovered they had been beaten to a state of exhaustion that magical healing could not fix. Even if they were freed, they would need several days of bed rest to recover from their exhaustion and were in no state to conduct a counter assault against the serpent monks. Meanwhile, Halegra the serpent order leader was leaving the temple through the foyer. He stopped and made an announcement to the monks on the balcony, to which the party overheard as they were only one room away. "'Brothers and sisters, the time has come for our ceremony to our master, Kavrim the protective!' Holegra explained in a loud and grand voice for all to hear. "'You are all summoned to join me at the lake. There we will give thanks to our serpent lord and provide an offering worthy of the gods. The day has finally come!' Holegra lifts a topaz amulet and cheers. He is then joined in his cheer with applause and cheers from other monks. "'That's Holegra!' Adron exclaimed to his fellow party members, I have to go confront him. Before anyone can really voice their objection, Adron steps forward to confront Holegra in the foyer. Wait, I have questions that you need to answer. You were at my monastery years ago, and coincidentally after you left, a dragon appeared and destroyed our home, and killed my brothers and sisters. If you are associated with this, I simply can't let you go on destroying other monasteries. Adron proclaimed, a murmur of excited whispering began among the monks, who were watching from the balcony above. An obvious non Serpent Order monk just boldly walked up to their leader and demanded he answer him. It was sudden and unexpected, which intrigued the room, as well as Holegra himself. Holegra looks upon the fur bold monk, who approached him with a chuckle. And who are you supposed to be? I am Audron, and you are not going anywhere, Audron said with confidence. Tell you what, Holegra says as he takes off his tunic folds it in half and hands it to a nearby Serpent Order monk. You best me in one-on-one combat and I will answer any question you have. Holegris stood before Audron in nothing but pants, boots, and a topaz amulet around his neck. Audron accepted the challenge and combat began with a flurry of blows from each opponent. Everyone stood back to watch the spectacle of the fight, except for Ronoran. Ronoran decided that he had rather dispatch the way of the Serpent's leader as quickly as possible and to hell with honorable duels. After preparing a few spells, he vaulted into the combat with a critical hit Zephyr Strike on the BBEG, dealing a little over 200 HP of damage. Keep in mind, I run a high magic item campaign and he had some pretty awesome weapons that dealt extra damage, plus I do not care if my players min-max their characters, but they are fully aware that I will do the same with my villains and make the combats equally challenging with powerful villains. I secretly rolled for System Shock on the BBEG, since he took over half of his HP and damage in one turn. Holegra easily passed his system shock check, and at the top of the next round, every monk in the temple jumped into the fray. The fight went from a one-on-one honorable duel to a 21 versus 8 one-sided combat. At this point, I am committed to letting the dice fall where they may, and if the party is wiped out, then that was the consequences of their actions, for starting a fight in such unfavorable conditions. Adron and Ronoran were surrounded by serpent monks from all sides, with the rest of the party trying to get into the fight to help. By the end of round two, Audron and Ronoran were re-evaluating their decisions, as they began to understand that they will likely die by the next round. Enter Aurora the Bard, who utterly saved their lives with an impressive mass suggestion spell. You guys are so stressed, you need to take the day off, Aurora said as she finished casting her spell. Surprisingly, about eight of the monks failed their save to include Holegra. Side note, maybe ten seconds after I announced the enemy's successes and failures on the charm spell, I had noticed Shadarkai are immune to charm spells. Oh well, it was my fault for overlooking that immunity, and I will not punish my players and go back on that ruling now. You are right. We have been working ourselves every day for as long as I can remember. All right everyone, let's go relax by the lake," Olegris said in a commanding voice. The other monks who were not affected by the mass suggestion spell simply looked at each other, shrugged their shoulders, and everyone began filtering out of the temple to go to the lake for the already planned festivities of joyous worship for their serpent lord. With the temple cleared of the serpent order monks, the party went on to rescue the sunsoul monks who were manacled to the beds. Once they were unshackled, they transported them outside of the monastery with a nearby cart. Weirdly, they noticed that all the gate guards were asked to go to the lake festival as well as any other monk that should have been doing a chore or job of some kind around the monastery. After about half an hour of making several trips back and forth to the temple, with sunsoul monks being transported to a clearing in the woods just outside of the monastery grounds, the party decided to go back to the lake festival to investigate the ceremony. They arrived to find that Holegra was handing off his responsibilities as ceremony host to a younger looking monk. Look, all you have to do while placing the amulet on the boy's neck is swim out to the sand barge in the middle of the lake, stand there and say in honor of the serpent lord, Kavrim the protective, we bless you with this offering and then just hold up the amulet to reflect in the sunlight. Everyone will cheer and you will be remembered by Lord Kavrim for all eternity. Olegra smiled, lightly smacked the youth's face, gave a wink, turned around, and left with his entourage of monks, who were firmly under the mass suggestion spell, to take a nice relaxing day off work. Seeing the youth looking worried and distraught with the sudden responsibility of holding a ceremony as a substitute host, Aurora had an idea. She approached the boy, still in her monk disguise, and offered to do this in his place. One successful persuasion check later, the youth was giving her explicit directions on how to handle the ceremony what to do and finally thanked her for taking the responsibility off his shoulders. The party began debating about what to do to ruin the ceremony, when Audron asked if he could be the one to host the ceremony and ruin it. Audron was not known for his silver tongue and most of the party had initially thought this would be a bad idea as he might say or do something wrong. But Audron was adamant about doing this, to bring some sort of closure to him and his lost monastery. Reluctantly, the party handed him the amulet and told him they would help him ruin the ceremony and even look cool with special effects as Aang, the other elemental monk, would be underwater in the lake and causing the water to ripple and swirl while sand flies around Audron. Everyone was very explicit with Audron that he was not to complete the ceremony in the fashion that the serpent monks wanted. And so, Audron swam out to the sand barge and stood on the raised sand to stand at his full seven-foot height. Even though he had soaked fur from head to toe, he still looked commanding. What came out of his mouth next is near verbatim. This is for Kavrim. And he lifts the amulet up to the sky to reflect the light. Everyone at the table audibly gasps and says a collective, no. Meanwhile, Odron's player, Drew, had misunderstood the entire plan and thought he was to conduct the ceremony. But it gets ruined by Aang and his special effects. As a DM, I recognize the misunderstanding but took full advantage of it anyways. So I say, cool, here's what happens. As you proclaim this victory in the name of Kavrim the Protective and lift the amulet to the sky, the sunlight reflects through the amulet and an ancient power is stirred. Rays of bright orangish light emit from the amulet and scatter in all directions from the amulet. Everyone within a 200-foot radius of the amulet gets hit by a ray. While this power was activated, it caused the water to churn around Audron and Aang, who was positioned underwater, began to realize his special effects were not making the water churn anymore. Aang began to wonder what was happening at the surface. The sand barge began to dissipate, and a pair of sickly yellow eyes opened from the murkiness, giving way to reveal an ancient green dragon lurking underneath. It was Kovrim the protective. As Aang shared a hesitant moment of vulnerability with the ancient worm, both Aang and Kovrim looked up, and where Audron was standing a bright light was pulsating. Everyone will need to make a wisdom save, I proclaimed. All NPCs auto-failed, and 2K the gnome was the only person to fail their saving throw in the party. The effects of failing this artifact's weapon attack was that their soul was captured and sucked into the amulet. If you have ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, I describe that scene at the end when the Ark of the Covenant was opened and all the spirits swirled around, killed everyone who looked at it and then got sucked back into the Ark. As Audron was looking at this powerful artifact that he just activated, the ground gave way beneath him and the great worm Kavrim swallowed him whole. Everyone at the table was in a panic. Many of the players were shocked and asking him why he would do that. Audron, I say. You are taking acid and crushing damage from the dragon's stomach. The amulet you hold has started to crack, and the souls that it has collected seem to have been transformed into a single radiant ball of energy. The ball of energy floats before you, then begins to drift towards the wall of the dragon's stomach. You can see the radiant ball of energy begin to be absorbed by the dragon. I reach out and grab it, Audron says. Looks like you are rolling an opposed grapple check with the dragon's will to become a deity. Your choice of either an acrobatics or athletics check. I say. He chooses to roll an acrobatics check and got a natural 20. What makes this more special is that Drew had been playing for several months and entered the campaign late, but he had never rolled a natural 20 before. He always rolled really low numbers. Everyone at the table erupted into cheers to see him succeed on such a high stakes roll. I rolled the dragon's opposing check and rolled low. The dragon's got an 18, I say with surprise. You take the ball of energy, caress it against your body, and absorb the divine power. I go back to describing the scene with the dragon about to encounter the rest of the party. As the dragon flies out of the water after just swallowing Adron, it hovers in flight above the lake, looking down on all the dead monks and the rest of your party. It begins to laugh, thinking it is one and will ascend to divinity at any moment now. Then, suddenly, it feels something amiss within its belly. The power it had consumed had disappeared and now he felt a surge of divine power swelling within him that was not being controlled by him. It was feeling like it was going to erupt from him. A moment later, the dragon's body exploded from the sheer force of power that was emanating from Adron. Adron was hovering where the dragon once was, glowing in a radiant white light with his fur, buffeting from the power exuding from his body. I paused the session to talk specifically to Drew. I explained to him that the moment he absorbed the divine power, he ascended as a demigod. At that moment, time froze and he was visited by Aoi, the supreme deity above all deities. Lord Aoi gave Audron the portfolio for martial arts and elemental manipulation. Lord Aoi explained that he was now a divine force that could be worshipped by those who wished to follow martial arts as a way of life and those who sought the power to control the weather. He would give him a few minutes to say his goodbyes to his friends and then he would need to follow him to a celestial plane to begin his training. I unpaused the session. To the other PCs, they never even realized time had frozen. Audron explained to his friends what happened inside of the dragon, his new power, and that he does not have long before he must go. But what about Holegra? Ronoran asked. If he finds out, he might want to take revenge on you for foiling his monastery's plans. Adron formed a Celestial Water Whip and cracked it on the ground. At the location on the ground where the whip struck, dirt flew up and settled. Holegro is magically summoned by Adron. Ronoran smiled and challenged him to a duel right then and there. Champion versus Champion. Holegra was missing most of his HP and still magically compelled to have a day off from work. The spell was dismissed so he could fight. Ronarin wound up summoning two lions and toyed with Holegra until he finished him off in the name of Audron. After Holegra was killed, Audron went to 2K's body and searched within himself. He found a fragment of 2K's soul and with his divine power, pulled free 2K's soul from his divinity, reformed it and raised 2K back to life. Afterwards, as DM, I handed Drew the DMG and opened it to page 228 where the supernatural gift of blessings is located. As a parting gift, I allowed him to give each player a blessing, with the stipulation that everyone must have a different blessing. Seven blessings, seven PCs. Audron then bestowed his blessing on each of his companions. "'Ronoran, I bless you with the power of Valhalla. With this power, I grant you the ability to summon spirit warriors to your side in battle, if you ever need them,' Audron said as he touched Ronoran's shoulder. "'Aurora, I bless you with the power of protection.' Just know that my spiritual presence will be there to help protect you against attacks that would seek you harm," Audron said as he touched Aurora's shoulder. Kaelin, I noticed you like to stab things a lot. I will bless your weapon," Audron said as he touched Kaelin's shoulder, then touched the hilt of his rapier, making a magical divine energy envelop it. Wolf, my brother in arms, I bless you with the gift of increased health," Audron said as he touched Wolf's shoulder. 2K, I bless you with magical resistance, in hopes of protecting you from devious traps set forth by rival spellcasters," Audron said as he touched 2K's shoulder. Aang, I bless you with a better understanding of the world," Audron said as he touched Aang on the shoulder. Norvik, I bless you with the ability to supernaturally bind your wounds. May this favor you in the future," Audron said as he touched Norvik's shoulder. After he gave them their blessings, Audron floated into the sky, and with a final farewell wave he disappeared. And that is the story of how Adron, the Furbold Monk became a god. A bittersweet ending for an epic character. Retiring a PC is always hard, but the memories are priceless. Please tell us your experiences and comment your reactions below. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel, All Things DnD. Our next video will be posted in two days, so stay tuned for more amazing Dungeons & Dragons content. <laughs>